When you look at this book, you need to remember the book of Daniel is not written in one language, but it's written in two different languages. It's written in the, in the language of Hebrew, and it's written in the language of Aramaic, which was to be the language of the Babylonians. From Daniel chapter 1, verse number 1, the opening of the book, all the way to Daniel chapter 2 and verse number 4, that is all written in Hebrew language. And the reason it's written in Hebrew language is because it's dealing with the children of Israel as they're exiled out of Babylon. They're going into bondage, into slavery. We know Daniel uh, and some of the other young men. We know Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're all going through this stuff. And so God's pointing out to the Hebrew nation what's happening to those people and those believers. But then when we move to Daniel chapter 2, verse number 5, all the way through Daniel chapter 7, verse 28 today, it's written in the language of the Babylonians called uh, Aramaic, the, the language of the Chaldeans. And when they're, when they're writing it in this, you go, well, why, would, why would God want Daniel to do such a thing? If you remember, remember back to Daniel 1, they were called out of Egypt into exile, but immediately when they got there, what were they doing? Daniel and those other intelligent, good-looking young men, such as some of us in here, they were told to learn the language, to learn the way of the Babylonians, to do all these things. And so when God was dealing with Daniel about the Gentile nations such as Babylon, such as Egypt, such as Libya, such as um, uh, the Medes and the Persians and the Grecians and Rome and all that, when God was dealing, he wrote it in the Aramaic language so that all people of all nations, especially at the time of Daniel, would be able to understand the truth without them having to have a Hebrew interpreter to tell them that scripture. Do you all understand what I'm saying? But then when God picks back, picks back up speaking to the Israelites in chapter 8, verse number 1 through the end of the book, the language is Hebrew again. And the whole thing is, is that I, I wanted to bring that out because you're just as much as everyone else in the world. You, we gripe about many things. We argue about many things. It's either too cold or too hot. It's either this last week was very cool in the mornings to where, ooh, it was a little bit chilly. And, and you sit back and you go, oh, I can't wait for summer. And this week is going to be, oh, dear Lord, I wish fall would hurry up and get here. So we're, we're creatures of that. I'm not getting on to you. I'm just telling you, we're that kind of creature. It's the exact same way people go, well, why why would God want two languages in there? Uh, we're no different than they were in that day. We get mad because we have to press one every time for English, right? So we're all frustrated about it, but God has his reasons because the language of the Babylonians was more or it was wider read than the Hebrew language. And so he wrote to the nations about those things. Daniel has this crazy dream in Daniel chapter number 7. But you never, ever, ever forget this. The whole thing that we're talking about in the book of Daniel is how God is faithful. Every single Sunday since we started the book of Daniel, we are talking about God's faithfulness in the most difficult times that we can go through. And you need to understand that every day we watch the news, we read the news, we compare it to the Word of God, we're constantly bombarded every Every week with something new. There's a shortage on gas. There's a shortage on brains. There's a shortage on all kinds of things today. And we get into this big tizzy. We get into all this turmoil. But for the Christian believers, you should have peace. You should have comfort and you should have peace and you should know that God is more than crude oil, that you should know that God is greater than whatever thing that we could ever face, no matter what we're facing. And so the whole book of Daniel is not about how cool it was that God spared Daniel in the lion's den, how awesome it was that Jesus was in the, the burning furnace, you know, with those three Hebrew boys and stuff. The greatest thing about Daniel is that God was faithful every single scripture, every single word. He was there with them and he never left them, and he will do the same for us. But to steal a line today from the great Wizard of Oz movie, today we're going to be talking about lions, leopards, bears, and oh my. Okay? Some of y'all that watched the movies back in the day, you would know she would go lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. We're going to be talking about not three, but we're going to be talking about lions, leopards, bears, and oh my. Amen? That's the title today, and I want you to look with me in your Bible at verse number one. The first thing that we're going to see is that Daniel has this dream. 
He has this crazy kind of dream that's like, if, if he opened up the Pink Floyd album, you would see this dream kind of thing, you know. You, you see in Daniel chapter 7, these beasts that are rising up. You see these crazy images that are happening. You, you see this lion in a moment with eagle's wings. You see this bear with three ribs in its mouth and it's leaning on one side. You see this leopard with four heads and four wings like a bird on the back. And then you see this horrible beast back in the background that really is kind of off in the distance. But it is worse than all of the other. And you're sitting here reading this and you're going, What? God, what are you talking about? But if you stop for a moment and think about this, there are animals today that still represent nations, such as Russia, the bear, such as the United States, the eagle, the majestic eagle of the United States. We have this kind of pattern throughout all nations. And if that isn't enough, and if that isn't like bringing it down enough to where we understand it, we also do the same thing with our sports. Uh, you have the Mortimer Jordan Blue Devils. You have, you know, the Fulton Hill Wildcats, you know, and you have all this stuff because we're trying to relate some kind of animalistic creature with that team, so to say. Uh, we're just going to have to go past the Blue Devils. Uh, I'm not even going to mention and preach on that today, but uh, I was a Blue Devil. I'm just glad not to be a red one. Look, in the beginning of this, Daniel is having this dream, and he sees these vicious beasts rise up out of the sea. He sees that they're, they're all coming up out of the sea. And these vicious beasts are happening before Daniel's, you know, I mean, as he's, he's dreaming this and God's showing this. The Bible says it's in the visions of the night. Look with me at verse number 1 because we've got a lot of stuff to cover. It says, Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Now before we get anywhere, and if you've got your little study books beside you or you're typing them in your phones or your whatever, remember this right here. You need to understand that first portion of Scripture. If you don't, then you're going to be thrown off. Some kind of so-called Bible scholar is going to come up to you and go, Your Bible's wrong. Uh, how in the world could this be the first year? How could Daniel chapter 7 be the first year of Belshazzar when Belshazzar was killed in Daniel chapter 5? You can't have a first year if he's dead. You know what I mean? This has got to be a different Belshazzar, but it's not a different one. What's happening is, how many of you watched, besides Brent, watched Scooby-Doo when you were growing up? When Scooby-Doo and them would go back, and you know, they're trying to figure out who it was that did all this stuff. You remember Scooby-Doo would have the little lines, you know, and it would go, doo -doo, you know, and, and you'd have this recurring going back to a dream or going back to something that happened earlier in the episode, you know. And this is what's going on in the book of Daniel. The reason Daniel chapter 7 is not tucked in between Daniel 4 and 5 is because of why. You know this. Theologically, it needs to be here. Chronologically, it needs to be there, but theologically, for us to understand, it needs to be here because God was dealing with Belshazzar in chapter 5 with his pride, and God connected chapter 4 and 5 together because he dealt with Nebuchadnezzar's pride in chapter 4. He deals with Belshazzar's pride in chapter 5. And then last week, we learned about Daniel in the lion's den, or the week before that, Daniel in the lion's den and God taking care of him. So you need to see this. You need to underline these kind of things in your Bible. You need to know these time frames so that people don't mess you up. We're moving back now to 553 B.C. We're moving back in our minds to the first year, that Bel or first year of Belshazzar that was the king of Babylon. So Daniel is taking us backwards. He's saying, I remember back when, the first year that I had this dream. And look at what the Bible says. He says that Daniel had a dream and the visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. If you look at this scripture, you're going to understand a few things. The first thing that you're going to see is that the Lord God is sovereign. You need to know this word. This word sovereign and our sovereign God, we, we've kind of been since 1978 to 80s around in there when our God is an awesome God came out. We've kind of moved away from using terms about God as he is a sovereign Lord or he is the sovereign God because we've moved into the fact in our era that he's awesome. You know what I mean? I, 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 I looked at a lady's shirt the other day in Belk when we were walking around shopping, and I looked at it, and I was like, I, st I almost stuck my foot in my mouth. I almost said, well, that's an awesome shirt. And it was a cool shirt, but it just shows you how we've kind of adapted through the years. It says, I thought it said, the Lord is hope. The Lord is hope. And I got to looking at it, squinting my eyes and looking at it. No, it says, the Lord is dope. And I was like, oh, okay, the Lord is dope. 
It's one of those things where some of you would take offense to that, but in the modern ways that people talk today, her shirt was bragging on God. It wasn't dissing God. <laughs> Y'all didn't think I'd ever use that in the pulpit. It wasn't coming against God. It's kind of like back in the 80s when people would say, man, that's bad. It actually meant that's pretty cool or that's pretty good, you know. So Daniel is saying here that the Lord is sovereign. And so many times we don't use the word sovereign in the church today or out in the streets unless we're arguing with one another about an issue. The only time you hear that God is sovereign or the Lord is sovereign is when you have a Calvinistic person on this side that's arguing with an Arminius person on this side. You have John Calvin on this issue that believed the sovereignty of God, that it was somewhat of this duck-duck-goose. He selected you and not elected you. He selected you, which is wrong. The election of God is sure. The Bible says that we were elected, that we were predestinated to be conformed to his image. The Bible says that we were all chosen to salvation before Jesus Christ died on the cross for the foundation of the earth. That is the election of God. He has called you and elected you to do what? To come and obtain salvation so that you could be his child. But he did not select you like, okay, I pick you and I pick you and I don't pick you and I pick you and I don't pick you, don't pick you. So the John Calvinist person on this side says God's sovereignty does it all. Then the Arminius, John Arminian on this side says, no, you must have free will. And so therefore they've adopted from this kind of theology that you can just do whatever you want. You can live like you want. You ain't got to live underneath the grace. We all live underneath grace. We don't live under the law. So we can go out and have fornication and drinking and driving and doing whatever we want. And you have this argument. And then this person goes, God is sovereign. And this person says, you're exactly right. And we don't understand what sovereign means because now we have adapted it to our understanding that it means God selects people. That's not what sovereignty means. God is sovereign. Sovereignty means this. He is in rule. He is in charge. He is in dominance. He is Lord. That's what the word sovereignty means. If you want to write it down in its simplest form, it means Lord, but it is defined as this. Someone who has rule, power, control, authority, and dominance. God is sovereign. And God saves all people. No one can save themselves. David said that I was in the miry pit, in the miry pit of the clay. We can't save ourselves. None of us, by our own free will, can come out of the miry pit. But when God extends his hand of grace down to us, we can choose if we want to reach and put our hand in the hand of the master, and he pulls us out. But all in all, he's got to do the saving, amen? And so we argue about it. We get our words mixed up. But the Lord is sovereign. I want you to look at this. Look in verse number 2. The Bible says, Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. When you see that scripture right there where it says that he saw in the middle of the night or in his night vision that behold the four winds of the heavens strove upon the great sea. Don't you dare go home today and tell anybody that I'm preaching to you that the world is flat and that there's four corners of the earth. That's baloney. The world is as round as a basketball. It is not flat, and if you sail out on a cruise ship, you can't go too far. You're not going over the edge, okay? The world is round, and listen, people need to catch up with the Word of God. Even the Word of God in the book of Proverbs talks about that the world being a sphere, being a shape, a round shape, and we need to understand that it's that way God wonderfully created it. But this scripture right here reminds me of Ezekiel chapter 37. There are a valley full of dry bones, and the Bible says that God told Ezekiel... He said, can these dry bones live? And, and you know what Ezekiel said. He said, thou knowest. He said, I have no idea. And he said, son of man, what I want you to do is I want you to preach. I want you to prophesy, preach under these bones that they would stand and live. I want you to call upon the four winds, to, uh, the four angels to come down and grab a hold of the four corners and to, and to blow wind across them. And it said flesh came on them and blood vessels and sinews and all this. And it says, now preach to the wind and let it pass on them. And they stood an exceeding great army. The Bible reminds, right here in Daniel chapter 7 verse 2, also reminds me of the book of Revelation where it says that when those trumpet of judgments are blasted, it says that he's going to send angels to grab a hold of the four corners of the earth and that they are going to blow judgment against this earth. It says the earth will be shaken. Daniel says right here in this one scripture that all of this stuff that's being done is under the control, the authority, and the power of God. In the beginning of his dream, God reminds Daniel, Son, nothing is done without my allowance. Amen. 
Now here's where we get messed up. We say this, why would God allow bad things to happen to his people? Why would God allow bad kingdoms and evil kingdoms to rise up? Why would God allow all these things? And then before long we get this crazy idea that God is behind the scene as though he's pushing this stuff happen. You know how many times that I've heard about the suffering of Israel and hear some Christians say some crazy statement off the wall about, well, you know, they said let the blood be upon us and upon our children as though God is pushing this caravan and is destroying the children of Israel when they are the wonderful, beautiful apple of his eye. They are his beloved. They are his wife. Amen? The problem in our thinking is this, is we're thinking too much like ourselves and not enough like a sovereign God in his scripture that's given us. When the children of Israel have suffered under the hand of Hitler, under the hand of the Ottoman Empire, under the hand of the Turkish Empire, under the hand of the uh, Pharisees, not Pharisees, the Philistines and all of these other people, when they suffered underneath those things, it's because they trusted in themselves. They were the people of God, told to trust in God. But when they went into sin, it was because they began to go, look at us, look at what we have, look at what we've done. They trusted in themselves. But God allowed evil nations to rise up and to come in and to punish them and to destroy them even at times. To do what? One reason, not to get rid of them because they're still here. But to do what? To chastise them. You know what, dads, if you're so excited about whipping your kids just because you like to whip them, you got the wrong idea. To chastise your child should bring you grief. It should bring you discomfort. It shouldn't bring you joy. It should bring you discomfort. But there's one passion or one will that you're trying to determine about or to come about. And what is it? It's to get them to not do that again because you know that will lead them down the wrong road. So your whole purpose is not to chastise them, but it's to chastise them back to a word that we need also, repentance and correction and to do the right thing. See, looking at this, people go, why would God do this? It's no different than Job. The Bible says that Satan wanted to go after Job. God said, have you tried my servant Job? And he said, I can't. you got a hedge around him. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I feel like Tim Hawkins about that. I don't want God to put a hedge bush around me. That doesn't seem very very big or very sturdy. Evidently, Satan doesn't like greenery (laughs) and shrubbery. I want like an iron wall, Lord. Put an iron wall around me. You know, fortify a city around me. But it says, I can't. You've got a hedge about him. And what did God say? He said, okay, you can do whatever, but you can't touch him. God allowed it. But then, after his family and all this stuff was attacked by Satan and all of his possessions were attacked by the devil, what happened? Satan said, oh, he'll curse you if you let me get him. And God said, okay, I allow you, but you can't kill him. You can touch his body, but you can't kill him. See, what we need to understand about the scriptures is this, is that God is not using Satan to so-called get his will accomplished. That's the wrong way to think about this stuff. God is sovereign, which means he's in control. Satan is not powerful and in control. Brother Jack, he is on a leash, and the leash is in the hand of God. And God will bring us back. The Bible says in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus said, Lord, Father, Abba, Father, if this cup is able to pass from me, let it pass. He was saying in the flesh, if there's any other way that this could be accomplished, if there's any other way that this could be done, please let it be done another way. This is gruesome death. This is a horrible death. Suffocation, bleeding, all of this stuff. He said, if any other way could be done, any other cup, if it could pass from me, if we could move it away, then please let it be done. But then he ended with what? The sovereignty of God. Nevertheless, say it with me, not my will, but thine be done. That's the difference. We get all wrapped up and go, oh God, why are you doing this? Why am I going through this? And God's saying, you're trusting in yourself. I'm trying to chastise you to bring you back. And we need to understand, although we are Americans, you know, born here in blood and and from hot dogs to apple pies, all the blessings that we have received, especially us young people, you need to listen to me, all of this blessings that we have received, when we as a nation forget the God who was sovereign and the God who is over us and the God who has allowed us to be in the position that we are, when we forget him, he will do everything to chastise us in order to bring us back to where we need to be. Where is it that we need to be? At his side. At his side. 
And we get all wrapped up and going with fighting over sovereignty, being Calvinistic or Arminian. That's not what the Scripture teaches. Daniel says, before I even got into the dream, I understood that all this stuff came out of heaven. That it says the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. Let me go real quick into this right here because i got to get you into this. Some people think that this is the Mediterranean Sea. Because the, in the Israelites, they called the Mediterranean Sea the, uh, the Great Sea. Uh, they called the Dead Sea the Dead Sea. But they called uh, the Sea of Galilee, they called it the sea. But it's, it's not. There's no salt water in it or anything. It's a massive body of fresh water, 8 miles wide by 11 miles uh, north to south. Why did they call it that? Because the Hebrew word for sea means massive body of water. Whether or not it was salt or, or not, it doesn't matter. That's why some of our gospels say that it was the lake of Tiberias, and other gospels say the Sea of Galilee. And people go, oh, the Bible's wrong. It's not wrong. It's not wrong at all, amen? It's their words that they used. And so people think, well, Daniel's talking about the Mediterranean Sea right here because it's the great sea. Daniel at this time is not even near the Mediterranean Sea. He is in Babylon. He is in bondage all the way out there. He is in what we would know as modern-day Iraq. Okay? He's far away from this sea. He's not recollecting this, but he's showing us something that is deeper, church. Listen, the Lord is sovereign. Number two, the world is sinful. The world is evil and it's sinful. The wickedness. The Bible says that this wind came down from heaven and it was strife against the great sea. It was worse than a windy day at Gunnersville. It was just turmoil moving around. And you say, what is this? Isaiah chapter 17 explains it to us. Look at verse 12. It says, Woe to the multitude of many which make a noise like the noise of the seas and to the rushing of nations <clears throat> that maketh a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations shall rush like the rushing of many waters, but God shall rebuke them, and they shall flee far off, and shall be chased as the chaff of the mountain before the wind, and like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. The Bible depicts here that Isaiah says that the nations that are wicked and that are here on this earth, all people, nations, and tongues, they're like a sea. Even Isaiah said in one scripture that the wicked are like the troubled sea whose winds and waves cast up mire and dirt. Bring all that junk off of the bottom of the ocean of the sea and cast up mire and dirt. Just like when you hate to go to Panama City and the storms come through and all that seaweed's out there. Revelation told us in chapter 13 verse 1, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea out of multitudes of people. Revelation chapter 17, verse number 15, explains to us what the sea is. Look at what it says. It says, and he saith unto me, the waters which you saw, talking about that great sea, it says where that whore came out of or sitteth on. You say, what was that? You remember that was the Babylonian church? He says right here, they are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So if you look at what Daniel's saying, Daniel says, I'm looking at the sea of people, and out of the nations of people arise these empires and these kingdoms, which brings us to this, lions, leopard, bears, and oh my. Daniel goes into this next portion. He says, let me explain to you what troubled me Seth, and what terrified me in my dream. How many of you have ever had those dreams before when you roll over and you wake up in the morning time and you go, man, that was real. How many of you had those dreams where something's happened or whatever and you roll over and you, you start looking around and seeing if the people are still there because of the dream. It was so vivid and so real and it shook you to your core and you have to wake up and realize, oh man, that was a dream. That's what Daniel's going through. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, and four great beasts came up out of the sea. The verse one from another. It says they begin to come out. Now, before we get into this, listen to me. This is going to be weird. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be Pink Floydish. It is. You're going to be going, this is nuts. A lion with eagle's wings. A leopard with uh, uh, four heads and bird's wings on its back. And you're going to begin to go, this is just too hard. I don't understand it. I quit. You can't do that you got to dig in in these moments. But I want you to write this down in your notes, and it's real simple. Com write these words. Compare Daniel 2 to Daniel 7. You're not going to remember it, so you're going to go home just about as empty as you come in because you won't remember it, so you need to write it down, type it in your phone. Compare Daniel chapter 2 to Daniel chapter number 7. That's why we've come today. We've come to learn from the Word of God and to worship Him. 
Daniel chapter 2 to Daniel 7. What happened in Daniel chapter number 2? If you remember, in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebi, he had a dream. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and when he woke up, he called everybody together and said, I need somebody to tell me what the dream was. And you want to go, well, did you forget about it? No, he wanted people to reveal the dream to him so that they knew, and he knew that they knew what he was talking about. So he said, I need the interpretation, but you've also got to tell me what it is. He called his magicians, he called his astrologers, he called his Chaldeans, which were the educated uh, men of the languages. He called all of those soothsayers and everybody to him. And he said, tell me what the dream was. And they said, we can't tell you the dream. I mean, you gotta tell, if you tell us the dream, then maybe we can tell you the interpretation. And you remember what he said? He said, you're just playing with me and you're just buying time. If you can't tell me the dream, then you can't tell me the interpretation. And I'll tell you what, if you can't do it, do you remember what Nebuchadnezzar did? He said, I'll burn your houses down, and I will kill all of your family and cut them into pieces. He's a nice guy. He said, I'll do all these things. Daniel comes along, and the Bible says that Daniel said, give me just a moment. And he went and he called uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he said, we need to have a prayer meeting. I need you to pray about this. Daniel went to bed, and when he went to bed, God gave him a dream. And when he showed him the dream, he went the next day, and he said, king, I can tell you about the dream. He told the king what the dream was. He said, what you dreamed was, king, is you saw an image. Can't you see King Nebuchadnezzar going, that's right. You saw an image, and that image had a head of gold. He said, and that image had a breastplate of silver, and it had thighs and a, and a midsection of brass, you know. And then, and, I, and then in the legs were iron, and then mixed with clay in the toes and all that stuff. And he was going, that's exactly right. And Daniel said, let me tell you the interpretation. He said, you, King Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. You know, and then the next kingdom after you will be inferior to you. It will be a lesser metal like silver, and then it will be lesser metal like the, the brass, and then the lesser metal like iron and all that. And he was telling him all of this stuff. You know why God gave Nebuchadnezzar that kind of dream? Because he was a heathen man who worshipped false idols and pagan gods, and all he was concerned about was how he appeared to others. And so God gave Nebuchadnezzar, Brother Carl, that dream to boost more. It boosted the pride of Nebuchadnezzar to the point in chapter 3 he built a whole golden image of himself for everybody to worship and he was going I am the image of gold and I am all of these things but in Daniel chapter 7 God gives his man a dream God gives Daniel his chosen man of God a dream and the dream is different but the same as Nebuchadnezzar's See, Nebuchadnezzar viewed it in the eyes of all of the world. I am the cream of the crop. I am on top. I am el numero uno. I am number one, right? But when Daniel got the dream, Daniel saw it from God's perspective. See, Daniel's dream is not how the world sees it, but God gave Brother Anthony Daniel a dream of how he sees it. And he says, that image of gold, silver, brass, and iron, and clay, in my sight... They're beasts. They're animals. They're not the humanity that I created that bring me glory and honor and praise like gold, silver, and all that does. You remember what the Bible says, that we're his vessels in the New Testament, and we bring honor unto him. He says, no, when I look down at those wicked kingdoms, he said, they're like animals. They're like beasts that I see rising up out of the multitudes of people. And he says, let me explain them to you, Daniel, and take the time to break them down one by one. Look at verse number four. He said, the first one that comes up out of that sea is a lion. He said, the first was like a lion, and it had eagle's wings until I beheld the wings thereof were plucked. And it was lifted up from the earth, and it says, and stood as a man stands on his feet, and a man's heart was given to it. If you stop for a moment, let's break down each of these four beasts. You'd understand that a lion is a representation of authority. The lion is the king of the jungle. I had to make sure with Andrew last night because I kept thinking that King Louis, Uncle Louis on the jungle book was the king of the jungle, right? No, the lion is the king of the jungle. He's the king of the Serengeti, and he's absolutely the top of the food chain, right? You look at this, it says, I beheld as that lion. He said, it's an it's, it's a animal of great position and authority. He said, not only was it that kind of animal, but it had wings on its back like an eagle. 
So you got this crazy-looking image that Daniel's dreaming about aligned with wings as eagles. If you go back and look at Babylonian pictures and Babylonian empire that they excavated all this stuff and they, they found, you, you'll see images of Nebuchadnezzar and his face that's on the body of like a horse or an animal like a lion and it has wings on its back. And many people think that's what he's talking about. But, but see, Daniel is receiving something from God. God says, I'm going to use imagery and symbols to show you what their character is like. He thinks he's in great position of authority, and he also walks around with this majestic way about him. He is like a lion with wings as eagles. But then God says this, but the wings were plucked off. Daniel even said that. Daniel said, I looked at this thing until the wings were plucked off. So Daniel's saying, I know this kingdom and this king personally because he knew Nebuchadnezzar, right? He knew when Nebuchadnezzar came in. Daniel chapter 1 says he was going to be there from Nebuchadnezzar all the way until the end of King Cyrus, amen? And so looking at this, he said, I was there and I watched Nebuchadnezzar be filled with pride, think that he's the greatest thing, go above God himself, and I watched God pluck his wings off of him. Now listen, it never says that Daniel waited around and prayed that God would pluck his wings. He said, don't you go out and do that to people. Don't you go out and start praying for people. God, I pray you just bust their bubble. I pray you just bring them down and pop their pride and pluck their wings off of them because that's not what the Scripture teaches. The Bible says that Daniel said, I'll watch this man until God removed his wings. And then all of a sudden, God made him stand back up again as a man, and he gave him a man's heart. We know that this scripture is speaking about Babylon. Are you with me? We know this already. We've already studied it in Daniel 2 and 3 we, and in chapter 4. We know that Nebuchadnezzar was so prideful that what did God do? God said, if you're going to be acting like an animal on the inside, then I'm going to make you act like an animal on the outside. And he went out into the yard and he ate grass for seven years. He grew hair. He grew nails. He was a wild animal out in the fields like when one of the oxen, you say, what we even talked about it being a medical term that people even talk about now and you think about this stuff Daniel says I saw all of this then look at the next one in verse number five the Bible says and then after that beast a second one jumped up out of the sea it says in the one that jumped up out of the sea it was like to a bear and it raised itself up on one side and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it and they said thus and it arise and devour much flesh we know that a bear represents not majesty bears don't represent majesty creatures that go through the garbage are not majestic okay Creatures that go around, what it was talking about was absolute brute force. It said this next kingdom that came up, and this beast out of the sea, it said that it was different from the first one in its majestic way, and its majesty. It says it was brute force. It was devouring. It was crushing things with its teeth. It was devouring, tearing things apart with its, with its claws. It says it was, it was massive as it come in. And you remember the big terminology in Daniel chapter 5 and in Daniel chapter 6, the law of the Medes and Persians never change. We are strong. We are firm in all of these things. That's the way the Medes and the Persians were. And we know that the Bible says that it was lifted up on one side and it had three rib bones in its mouth, which means that Daniel was showing us that this is one that isn't past, but he says this is one that's eaten right now. This is having its, it's got three ribs in its mouth. And that signifies showing that the Medes and the Persians came in and what did they do? They conquered the Egyptian nation. They conquered the Babylonian nation and they conquered the Libyan nation. They had three ribs in its mouth because they were conquering those nations right then and there. But it says it was lifted up on one side. Some people think this, I'm going to do the bear for you. I'm not going to do what the uh, what one guy about the sticky belly out of the pudding cup thing, but the bears, you know, they say they raise up you know, on their back legs and stuff, and that's what people think that this is teaching us. It doesn't say that it rose up on its back legs. It says that it was raised up on one side, that something signified this bear was stronger on one side of its body than the other side. This empire was made up of two different kingdoms. The Medes came together with the Persian Empire, and they were called the Medo-Persian Empire or Medo 
Medo-Persia empire. And what happened was is that Persia was stronger than the Medes and King Cyrus overtook the Medes and did what? Made it one nation, one land. That, this is beautiful. This is so great. That, that the reason it's so great, church, is that it hadn't fully happened yet and God's telling Daniel about it. The Bible says that God's declared the end from the beginning. And we got a book like that, amen? And then the Bible says in verse number 6 that another beast came out. It says, and I beheld this one, and it was like a leopard. And it had on the back of it four wings of a bird or of a fowl. And listen to this one. If, this one, if the other ones wasn't freaky, this one is. It says it had four heads, and dominion was given to it. This leopard represents what? Speed and agility. One of the fastest animals, land animals. They can travel like 62 to 68 miles an hour, about almost as fast as me, but, you know, 62 to 68 miles an hour. They can turn on a dime to attack their prey. When they're going after a wildebeest or after a wounded or sick animal, they're, they're getting it, and they're so powerful that they can take their prey put it in their mouth and climb a stinking tree with that, that prey and that food and dinner in their mouth and take it up to the tree and eat it. Amen. Daniel, God is saying, if you thought the lion with eagle's wings was bad and the bear was bad, hey, buddy, there's this next empire that's going to come in, and Daniel could almost see it. It's pretty cool, Brother Butch, because he said, I saw the lion, I'm seeing the bear, and I can see that next one, that leopard coming. And he says, if the agility and speed of it just being a leopard is enough, it says it has four wings like a fowl of the air, that it can swoop, it can move, it can rise, it can sink, it can do all of these things. And then it says, that it had, you say, well, what would that mean, Brother Steve? We all know that this is talking about the Grecian Empire, the Empire of Greece. And you go, what would all of that be about? I, I was sharing on the bus the other day. We have, we have Bible conversations on my school bus. Kids get bored, and I feel that if I can talk to them about some good things and talk to them about life experiences and good things and all that stuff in Scripture, that the bus just kind of goes easier than that. And that's why everybody says when they sub for me, it's the best bus ever, you know. Hopefully, they'll be the most biblical bus ever. We're riding down the road. I got a 15-year-old behind me. I got a couple 14-year-olds, and they're all talking about, you know, the things that's going on around us. They always talk about the mask issue, and they're talking about all of this stuff. And we got to talking about false religions the other day, and they asked me about it. And I said, you know, you know, all of this stuff that happens throughout history, and we're talking about Hinduism, Buddhism, all this stuff, Confucius, we got off on all these things, and I got to talk to them about Greece. I said, before the days of Rome were the days of the Grecians, and, and in Greece, they were, they were so swift and they were so fast that they had this leader by the name of Alexander the Great, and there was a 12-year-old behind them that he said, Shannara? <laughs> and I went, What? You, you have this image of these kids in today's generation. And, man, they can bring you all the way up to this point where you go, I'm so proud of them. And then you have these moments like this that you go, what? <laughs> Alexander the Great. You know, Shannara, he called me Alabama, and I was like, he's not Alexander the Great. <laughs> I said, Alexander the Great was the leader of the Grecian Empire, man. He was like, he was whooping everybody at age 32. He was, he was so stressed out by the empire that he died in his 30s. But yet by the time he turned that age, he had actually conquered many, many empires and was moving swift and fast. And we have the word of God that described this guy before he ever was a gleam in his daddy's eye. And we have a good word in this Bible, amen. He told everything that it was going to be like. It's not Shonara. Dear Lord, help our generation. Listen, he says it had four wings, but it says it had four heads. And you go, what in the world could that be? When Alexander the Great, right, call me Greece. When Alexander the Great, when Alexander the Great died at an early age, something had to be done with the empire. And you know what was done? It was dispersed among his one, two, three, well, four generals. Isn't that a big coincidence? Four generals, Ptolemy, Seleucus, all at, uh, Cassander. It was all dispersed to his generals. And so Greece actually was so swift and fast. And when Alexander the Great died, it went out to his four generals. God's telling Daniel everything that's going to happen. And still today there are preachers telling people everything that's going to happen. And we've become so comfortable in church and so just content with our ways and so unconcerned 
then I wonder if anybody listens anymore. We can't get people to listen unless I'm like having a heart attack up here, stressing out, sweating, and moving around, and all this stuff. And I'm going, man, you need to pay attention to these things that are going on. It's not time to sleep. It's not time to just wander off and count the ceiling tile. We need to pay attention because he says these things are going to happen. And it happened. But then, if that isn't enough, listen, these first three beasts were vicious. Horrible, evil, evil, vile beasts. But then God tells Daniel, if you think they were bad, if you think those three were bad, he says, you're going to really be troubled with this fourth one. The Bible says in verse number 7, after this I saw in the night visions, listen to Daniel, man, he, he's grieved, he's troubled in his heart. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast. Dreadful, look at these words, dreadful and terrible. And strong exceedingly. I pointed those out because I want you to underline those in your Bible or in your notes. He describes them differently. The lion, majestic authority. The bear with brute force, all of these things. The leper with the wings, uh, four wings of fowls and stuff, swift and agile. But this last one, he says, dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong. Just terribly strong. It says, and it had great iron teeth. You remember those words. It devoured and break in pieces. What's he talking about? He says, with its teeth, it devoured everything and broke it all into pieces. Left nothing. And then look at the next words. And if it wasn't destroyed by its teeth, its iron teeth, then it stepped on it. And it stamped the residue out with the feet of it. And it was diverse. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. And I considered the horns. And behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns. They were plucked out by the roots. And behold, this horn, look at this weird illustration. Where it says, this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. Daniel said it was dreadful, terrible, exceeding strong. It was destructive with its iron teeth. We understand when this Roman Empire came on the scene in the days after the Grecian Empire actually kind of molded themselves, Brother Heath, and turned into the Roman Empire. I have a book in the back, and next Sunday I'll bring it out. It will literally stretch from that side of the church. When you open it up, it will stretch all the way over to there. It stretches out three eight-foot tables long, and I read it all the time. When I come here on Mondays, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I've got that book out in the fellowship hall, Candace goes, oh, dear Lord. What are we going to get into this Sunday? Because you can literally see everything that Scripture says, Brother Butch, when it broke out into those four heads and then it broke out into other kingdoms and it broke out into this, you can see the nations as they've come about. And it's amazing that God told us all these things in the Scripture and told Daniel these things way before they ever happened. And people didn't repent. It's the same thing that God told Noah that it was going to rain, but people didn't listen to that either. So what will you do, Brother Steve? I'll just keep preaching until it rains. Man, that's what Noah did. I'll keep preaching until he comes back. Exactly. And when you look at this scripture, he says this beast will come out with its iron teeth. We know that the Romans were absolutely perfect in what? In making their weapons of war. Making things of iron, shields, other things that they had. It was one of their biggest commodities that they would have, or their biggest kind of in their pocket kind of blessings that they had. They were known for going in and slaughtering nations. They were known for that Roman catapults. They were known for the Roman battering ram. They were known for when they overtook the land or the city of Masada out in the middle of the desert. They spent months, at least six to nine months, out there, church. They couldn't get to the top of that mountain and they went on the backside while people in the front were going hey look here we're coming to kill you we're going to get you Jews they had Romans on the backside building a uh, uh, landing a ramp of dirt up to that they'd come put dirt come and put dirt to where they finally got all their instruments of iron and (laughs) instruments of chariots and other things got up there and whipped them all killed them all and what they did and what they were known for doing was not only devouring them with their teeth but whenever the residue was there they would step on it They'd kill them all. The Romans were known for their evil, evil, barbaric ways. They were the inventors of crucifixion. They invented this torture system of tying people 
to cross beams and post beams and having them displayed openly to bring humility and shame upon them and watch them, literally watch them suffocate to death. They invented it. Before they actually did that on the hillsides, they had cross posts put outside the city gates or the village gates or the town gates, and they would take murderers and criminals and decapitate them, kill them, and place their heads on the post. So that way, when you and your family moved into this Roman city, you came in that entranceway, you saw these evil, barbaric uh, instruments and all this stuff that was going on, that they were telling you, we will not put up with anything like that. And if you don't go our way, then we will destroy you. But the worst thing about this fourth beast that comes out, it's the Romans, you need to listen, you need to pay attention, is that everything that they did, they believed and did it in such a way that was different from the Babylonians, different from the Egyptians, different from the Medes and the Persians, and different from the Grecians. When they did it in those days, they did it in a way where it was black and white. Either you served God or you didn't serve God. But then all of a sudden, the Roman Empire moved into this gray area of life. The Roman Empire has an influence on American society today. We are very, very much like the Roman Empire with the belief systems that we have, the equality of men and women, the equality of religions, the equality of all things, that if it doesn't hurt us, if it doesn't mess with us, then fine, you can go ahead and do it. But the worst thing that we have is this right here, is that in the Old Testament days, when those men and women went down there, Brent, with their babies, and placed their brand new babies into the hands of Moloch, a brazen false god with horns on its head, and its arms were were fiery red, and they put that baby, that infant, into the hands of that stinking false god, and it devoured it and burned it up as it screamed and as it pleaded for life. There was no gray area back in the old days. God says, if you do that, it is an abomination unto the Lord. You know what that word abomination means? It is a further, deeper word than just a sinful thing against the Lord or a trespass against the Lord. He said an abomination is a nauseous calls to the stomach of God. It makes God sick that people would do that. And when they did it in the old days, they did it with what? With no regard for God, and it was black and white that you were not following God if you did that. He even told one king that sat upon the throne that caused his children to walk through the valley of the fire or through the midst of the fire, he told him that you will never have another one to sit on the throne of God anymore or the throne of uh, Israel anymore. Right? The Bible says that things changed in this last beast. And you know what it was? It's words called tolerance, mix, equality, republic. See, the Roman people began to become so smart that they were outsmarting God. They believed that if you had clean water, good facilities, you could keep the people happy, you could allow them to do what they wanted, what pleased their flesh, but yet you could still have control over them, that the empire would never fall. So every Roman place that you go to today, if you go to Israel and you go to Beth Shean, if you go to, to Rome itself and to Athens and all these other places, you're always going to find one thing that's always there. You're going to be introduced to it by your guide. It's going to be called an aqueduct. Every place they had, if they didn't have fresh water, they popped it in. They brought it in with an aqueduct and they brought the water in because they needed clean water. The second thing you're going to find when you go to Roman cities all over the world is bathhouses. You're going to find these bathhouses that have Corinthian columns all around them and these big huge headstones and they have images of all kinds of sexual fornication all over them it is an absolute pornography it's everywhere all over the top and it was in their public bathhouses public bathhouses were no different than what we in the south call a brothel house or a cat house i gotta get it down to where we understand it everybody know what i'm talking about and so what was going on was people were coming to that place satisfying the pleasures of their self and the pleasures of their flesh and fornicating while the whole time this was what was told by the roman empire it's okay because by law you can do that it's no different than today I can get rid of my baby if I want to. It's my body. And you can place it in the hands of a doctor who will brutally, unmercifully 
take it apart. Because the law says we can. I'm here to tell you that there is no worse drug addict than the drug addict that is prescription supplied than a cocaine addict that's out there. A cocaine addict, that's a black and white area. That's wrong. But if you're just as high as they are because a doctor gave it to you, it's not wrong because why? We live in the land of the free. It's by law we can do these things. And I'm going to tell you, it's destroying people's lives. Destroying the fabric of America. And we stand and go, apple pies and hot dogs and we'll always be American. And when we go through trouble, we'll get Lee Greenwood to sing, God bless America. I'm proud to be an American. And the whole time, we are just like Rome. And that's why God said, Daniel, you think those beasts were bad? This other one coming up does it in such a way to where they've legalized it. They allow it. That's what's going on. That's why we sit in churches today with unconcern. We sit in churches no longer stirred to the point where we are absolutely moved by the fact that if we don't tell our brother or our sister or our aunt or our uncle or our mom or our dad or our children about Christ, that he could come back now and they would, Brother Jack, eternally and forever be lost. I remember when revivals was going on. Man, I'd preach revivals. And I meant God to be moving. And people would get up and leave. And I didn't think anything about it. I mean, I didn't think it was going out to smoke. I didn't think it was going to get pizza. I didn't think they were tired of hearing me. You know why? Because I had many people. They came back in and they had someone by the hand with them. I've preached revivals where they left and they went and got their daddies. And they went and got their sons and brought them to the revival meeting. Left the church to go get them. Why? Because there was such a concern in them that they said, if they don't receive Christ, they will forever, not for a moment, but forever be lost. The reason this fourth beast is worse than anything we've ever seen is because it numbs us. We become numb inside. We've become people today to where church is only what it offers me. We fight and we argue about translations, hymn books, TVs, pews, chairs. And the whole time Satan laughs at us and mocks us and goes, if I can keep them messed up and concerned about that and unconcerned about somebody's soul being lost and being in condemnation. Condemnation means, in the simplest terms, damnation forever. Then I've got the church right where I want them. And a church that doesn't affect Satan is not an active church for God. It says this thing, Brandon, come on. It says this thing's got ten horns. Now, I know what you're... you're, you're <laughs> You're imagining that, you know, horns, and you're going, but horn means power, authority. It's not, these are all depictions. These are pictures, stories. This is a dream of the characteristics of these nations. This has ten horns. It says, but in those days, it says three of those horns are going to be plucked up by its roots and removed, but one's going to be in its place. It's speaking about the Antichrist, which is what I want to preach next Sunday to you. It's speaking about these things. It says that it comes with power and it's got like man's eyes and it's got speaking with great mouth and all this stuff. And all this junk, all these beasts were coming out of the sea, Josh. They're one after another after another. And this would have been a horrible dream. It would have been the worst dream you could ever have if, if the dream hadn't continued. Because the dream did continue because, look, he saw vicious beasts come up out of the sea, but he saw a visible Lord come out of the sky. That's the great news. He, he saw beasts come up from the multitudes of people, but one day Daniel said, I'll see the Lord visibly with my own eyes come out of the sky. Amen. He's not coming out of the sea. He's coming out of the sky. He's coming out of heaven where he came from. Amen. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says that we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. That, that's the nursery motto. You know what I mean? We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. The Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and you know what the scripture says? At the last trump, 
It says that it will blow and the dead in Christ shall rise. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says what? It says that the trumpet shall sound. It says the dead in Christ shall rise first, which is talking about Baptists. Dead in Christ will rise first, and all of those that are alive and remain shall be called up to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He's talking about the rapture. In the book of Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1, the Bible says, I, John, beheld a door opened in heaven, not a window but a door and it says in the voice of the first one which I heard talking about chapter one the voice of Jesus the one who spoke in words of red right he says whenever he spoke he said I heard his voice as the sound of a trumpet right and what did he say come up Hither. He said, come up here. And listen, and the church is raptured out of here. Daniel is talking about this dream. He said, empires are going to come. Nations are going to rise. Wickedness is going to come. He says, but something's going to happen. The visible Lord will come. Look at these words. The Bible says, and I beheld, look at verse 9. And I beheld till thrones were cast down. And the Ancient of Days did sit. Amen. You know who the Ancient of Days is? Some of y'all are Ancient of Days. Huh? Butcher, you ancient of days? That means you're elder. That means you've been here for a while. That means you're old, right? But the Bible talking about the ancient of days is talking about the one who has no beginning and the one who has no end. And if you could picture this just for a moment, you can kind of see what Daniel's saying. Daniel says, as the vision and the dream is playing through my mind, he said, I saw a lion that had wings like an eagle and they were plucked off and then that one was moved out of the way. He said, and the next one in line, he said, I saw was a bear that had three ribs in its mouth and Miss Marcel, it was moved out of the way. Its throne was destroyed. And the next one up the bat was Alexander the Great. And he was moved out of the way. And then the next one was this Roman Empire that came in. And they're thrown out of the way. And the next one is this Antichrist Empire. And when all of these were moved, I beheld till all the thrones were cast down. And all of a sudden, when all of that junk was moved out of the way, he said, there he is. Man, I'm telling you. That'll make you excited. He said, there he sat, the Ancient of Days was sitting on his throne, amen. It didn't say that the Ancient of Days was running around going, what am I going to do? Oh, me. It says when all of this stuff came through, he said, someday I'll see the Ancient of Days. God the Father himself sitting on his throne. Look what it says. His garments as white as snow. His hair is as white as wool, amen. The Bible says that his throne's like a fiery flame. His wheels burning as pure fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. <clears throat> and the judgment was set. You know what that means? Hear ye, hear ye. Court is now in session. <clears throat> they said court's in session. I'm going to eat this, this thing right here. He said the judgment set and what happened? Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 20, God sits upon his great white throne of judgment. Brother Jack says the books will be open. This is thousands of years written before John ever wrote the book of Revelation. Oh my goodness. How you sit there and just go, yep, it sure was. How can we do that? I mean, isn't it an amazing book? This is not some Tom Clancy novel. Hey, man, this is an absolute amazing book that God was detailed. And he wrote it down, and Daniel said, Finally, I got to the kingdom that I've been wanting to see. He says, And I beheld, then because of the voice of the great words, which the horn spake, talking about the Antichrist. Look, I beheld even till the beast was slain. And his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Daniel said, in my dream, I saw it all. He saw it before John, the revelator, saw it. He said, I saw it all. I saw, I saw the Antichrist get his judgment. And if you read Revelation, you'll understand this is exactly what happened. It says that the Antichrist, the beast, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. It says, and as concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away. But look at these words. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season in time. What he's talking about, look, church, is that the remnants of all those kingdoms passes down. He says, 
I saw in the night vision. And behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him and there was given him, look, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. The the Bible plainly says, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1. It plays out all this scenario that the church will be caught away someday. How will they be called away? This is what I've been told from some people. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says at the last trump, that means, Brother Steve, Brother Jerome, we're going to have to go through half of the tribulation because we're not going to go out until the last trumpet sounds, until the last trumpet blows in the book of Revelation. That's not what Scripture teaches us. The Bible says that John said in verse 1 of chapter 4, the voice which I heard from the beginning, which was the voice as of a trumpet. Now, this is what the church does. We sit around and go, we're just waiting for Gabriel to blow his horn, and we're going to go out of here and stuff. We ain't waiting for Gabriel. Nowhere in scriptures talk about when Gabriel blows his horn, we're all going to get out of here. I don't know where we got off on that except for our goofy songs. We can mess up a lot of doctrine in the Bible by songs. The Bible teaches it's not going to be Gabriel's horn that blows. It's going to be the mouth of Jesus that speaks. He says that his sheep know his voice. And he's going to say, come up hither. But his voice is like the voice of a trumpet. Amen. You know why it's the voice of a trumpet? Because the New Testament word in the Greek that is for trumpet is talking about like a great sounding noise. You know, and they blow the trumpet and stuff like that. It's not talking about a a brass instrument or silver instrument stuff. What it's talking about, church, is that when he speaks, he's going to speak with authority and with power. That beast that has all those horns, the New Testament word for trumpet is the Old Testament word for horn. And it's talking about that Jesus, when he speaks, he will speak such power. That's why the old preacher said, Brother Jack, that he had to say, Lazarus, come forth. Because had he not said Lazarus come forth, every dead person in that area would have come out. Amen. Come forth. Whoa, 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 sorry, y'all go back. I was just talking to him. Because he speaks with power. And when he, the Bible says when we're raptured out of here, hang with me. When we're raptured out of here and we're taken out, the Bible says we're going to be in Revelation chapter 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb, celebration in heaven. Jesus is going to present his bride before the Ancient of Days. He's going to say, this is the one I gave my life for. This is the one I gave my heart to. These are my bride. These are my people. And here they are, Father. And we're going to have a great celebration. And then after that, the Ancient of Days is going to look at him, Brother Bush, and say go into the earth now he's going to get on his white horse not with his bride or his excuse me his groom attire on he's going to get his war robe on and he's going to be dressed in white with his vesture dipped in blood king of kings down one side lord of lords down the other side his name is the word of God he has a name written that nobody knows a sharp two edged sword protrudes out of his mouth he comes back and makes war with them and the armies and saints of God in heaven follow behind but we're not going to be fighting. It's going to be him fighting, amen. And when he puts an end to all of those things, this is what he's going to do. It says, I beheld the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He's going to take them, Brother David. He's going to take all of us, and we're going up to heaven. All of the people that were his church, all the people that were the ones through the tribulation, some through the waters, some through the flood, but thank God all through the blood, right? All of this stuff's going to happen, and he's going to come. The Bible literally says he's going to bring us before the Ancient of Days. He's going to bring them up there, Brother Phil, and put us before God the Father. Thousands of thousands will minister to him. Tens of ten thousands will stand before him. In the Bible, I can literally see it as though Jesus kneels down, not in the garden anymore, going, if there's another way, let there be. But Miss Joyce, I see him kneeling down and saying this. In the garden of Gethsemane, he said, what? It's enough. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. It's enough. I've prayed enough. It's, it's enough. At the cross of Calvary, what did Jesus say? It is finished. I'll never die again. I'm not going to the cross to pay for people's sins. It's paid for and to tell us die, paid in full. But in Revelation chapter 21, the Bible says what? 
When the new Jerusalem comes down, it is done. And when it's done, Jesus sets before his Father on the throne. Jesus is going to be crowned before all nations, all people. King of all kings. Lord of all lords. All dominion. All power. All of everything that we think of him and we give him glory in this church. All of that is going to be said about Jesus that day. You know why? Because it doesn't matter who comes out of the sea. What matters is who comes out of the sky. What matters is that we get concerned that if people don't hear this and know this, and know this truth, not just from the voice of our mouths, but from the testimony of our walk and our feet, that they will forever be out of the presence of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man who comes in clouds of glory and clouds of heaven. Daniel took this in. This is the last verse. He took it in. I'm not going to read the other. I want you to look at verse 28. Daniel said, the thoughts or the cognitations of my mind. He said, when I woke up, he said, here's the end of the matter. He said, Butch, when I understood all this, what God was teaching me, he said, it bothered me in my mind. He said, it bothered me to know that there will be people that will fall underneath the empires and the kingdoms of wickedness. It bothered me to know all this. It troubled me in my thoughts. Daniel said the second thing it did, he said it changed the countenance within me. Every time we've read countenance changed in the Bible, it's always been in the term of facial expression. And her countenance changed. And the countenance of his face fell. Over and over, brother, said countenance fell. It's always a facial thing. But Daniel said, no, no, no. No, 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 it's not my face that's changed. Daniel said, my spirit within me is changed. He said, there's this urgency. That's why Paul made the statement, Sister Kathy. He said, if I could be a curse from Christ and Israel could be saved, my brothers and Israel could be saved, Paul said, then I would do it. Why? Because he was changed inside. And then the last thing Paul, uh, Daniel says right here, he says, I kept the matter where? my heart some of you think that that is Daniel going I I just kept things hid and all of that no he's saying he's saying just like David said my sins ever before me Daniel's saying it's a constant reminder when you're with that friend and they say blankety blank and they say GD instead of looking at them and going man don't say that that's stupid look at them and go Hey, that's my dad. That's my father. I love you. Please don't talk about him like that. We don't want to do it because, why? Well, you don't want to offend him. Well, do it in a lighter way. Do it in a, a funnier, light, light, lighter way. Look at him and go, hey, God didn't even need one of them. His son walked on water. Open the door. You know Why? Because they may be a 17-year-old boy like I was one time that couldn't get past any words except saying stupid and foolish stuff like that. But because somebody set their heart on God, they had enough guts in them to come and tell me about Jesus. This scripture right here today should change everything about us. It should make us go, listen to me, next Sunday's more important. It should make us go, we don't have a lot of time to be fooling around. We need to get serious about this thing called Christianity and the gospel of Jesus because we may be here today and gone tomorrow. Lord, we thank you.